All right. Count so me. here we go. Here's the countdown. Three, two, one. All right. We're good to go. Welcome back to episode two of Woo! First Aid Lit. Exciting times. We've made it through one whole episode and we're back. <laughs> so First Aid Lit is a podcast that explores and promotes the life-saving power of literature. And we discuss the books that you should carry in your literary first aid kit for any situation. I'm Angela Whipperman. I'm Nicola Sheppy. I love our little intro. It's like a game show. It is, isn't it? Um, um, it's just weird because this is not the second episode we've recorded. So it feels like we're really good at this and we're really seasoned. But yeah, hopefully. Te- technologically less seasoned because, yeah, our last one got slightly derailed by some rogue tech yeah. issues. <laughs> We'll come back to that one. Uh, it's good. How are you, Angela? What's been going on? I have actually, well, we'll get on to today's topic, but um, the book that I have just finished is The Seven and a Half Ooh. Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle. Um, Tell me about it. Is linked a little bit to our theme today, but we'll get into that later. But it was a, it was a fun book. Um, it's by Stuart Turton, and it is a kind of murder mystery, harking oh back God. to last episode. And sort of, well, it's often described as a closed door mystery, but it's not really. But it is a murder mystery set in this sort of 1920s household. But the twist is that our protagonist um, relives that same day, the day of the murder, in all these different bodies and so that's what i was reading last week and it's like a fun little twist on the murder mystery so if i'd read it before the first episode um that would have been great to discuss but you know too late now but i enjoyed it i'd recommend it good fun read bit chonky it's about 500 odd pages but um fun so you don't really feel it doesn't feel too heavy have you read that one no so is is it that the like the same narrator going through the different bodies or is it just that you're learning the same thing through lots of different people it's the same yeah the narrator stays the same i think strip Durden sets himself a pretty difficult task because when you when the book starts you you get this first person narration and you find out immediately that he doesn't remember anything about who he is like he doesn't remember his name doesn't remember what he does doesn't remember anything i think that makes it really hard to get a sense of the character because you don't know any he doesn't know anything about himself so you certainly don't know anything about yourself so it's then very uh, yeah. jason Bourne. so it kind of sets you up of Stuart turton's kind of set himself up with this big challenge of how do you make your readers invest in this story when point of view is pretty much a blank slate and then yeah this protagonist you then everything is told through him so the narrator stays the same and he no he stays himself in all these different bodies but i think a really cool element of the story is that as he travels through these different bodies, whilst he stays himself, he becomes influenced by the characters he's in. So he, there's a character that is um, really nasty and he starts to feel these kind of nasty urges. And there's another character who's like a coward and he starts to feel really cowardly. So that was a really neat little oh. element of the story, which I really enjoyed. And where would you recommend it? I really would recommend it, especially if you are a fan of murder mysteries. So go and listen to our first episode if you haven't already. You can get some other good murder mystery tips um, of books to read. And then you can add this one to the list. So it's like a little bonus bonus suggestion. Wow. What's been on your reading list this week? Uh, yet again, I feel like I'm reading a million books at the same time, but that seems to be my life. Um, I've been reading, so I've been working through um, Hamlet by Maggie O'Farrell. 
I don't know if you've heard of it. It was, I guess it came out this year. It's been really acclaimed. It's uh, shortlisted for the Women's Prize. I was going to say, it's on a book along list, isn't it? No, it's not. But I think it was seen as like a snub maybe but yeah um Uh. but yeah to introduce it a bit it's about so it's named after uh, shakespeare's son hamnet who no this isn't a spoiler uh he died when he was about 11 years old and it it's a book about him but it's about the whole family it's it's not in first person but it's told in the perspective of all the different family members mainly his wife agnes who I think is also known as Anne in history, but there's a bit of debate about whether she was called Anne or Agnes. Oh, I've always thought known her as Anne. I know, yeah, I I, I did too. And I wonder if um, Maggie O'Farrell did that on purpose to make it so you didn't feel like you had, you know, it's not immediately clear that it's about Shakespeare's family and in, and the character of Shakespeare doesn't get named throughout the whole thing. So he'll always be spoken mm. about as agnes's husband or hamlet's dad or the tutor or the playwright there's never really any specifics and yes it's basically a story about that it's about hamlet it kind of leads up to his death and then the kind of it it flashes back a lot to the past of shakespeare and and meeting and getting married and yeah it's it's a funny book because so it's so critically acclaimed i think it was some a friend mentioned it and said it was really good so i went out and got it and i was really kind of Intri- not not like excited but I was quite intrigued to read it um I but I I don't know how much I'm connecting with it and I feel a bit like it's a bit weird because it seems to be this kind of book that's generally seen as being brilliant and it's written so beautifully and she obviously did a huge amount of research it's so it's set really well I think the issue I'm having I'm trying to pinpoint mm. why I'm not connecting with it and I think the issue is that all the characters feel a little bit one-dimensional or they feel a little particularly the relationships between the characters feel a little bit there's nothing that really surprises you or yeah really hard to explain but it's just not it's it's becoming a little bit of a chore to read and I hate that feeling when you kind of you're reading a book and you're like oh I just want this chapter to be over so then I can just get through the next chapter and then I can start the next book and that's really I'm do you know I'm quite near the end now I'm probably yeah probably about 60 pages from the end oh okay I was gonna say maybe it's one of those books that sort of picks up for you but possibly not if you're nearly at the end yeah it's such a beautiful portrayal of grief as well and families and because immediately when I read it I was like whoa this is so ambitious Mm. to write a book about Shakespeare you know he's I would never even think of doing it it's a fair play to her she's done an amazing job of building that world but I don't know if it necessarily it sounds like quite an odd statement but I don't know if it necessarily needed to be about Shakespeare it's more of just Mm -hmm. the story of a family that's grieving and if anything the connotations to Shakespeare kind of weighs it down a little bit where it becomes a look you're too aware of who this person is so you can't immerse yourself in the character that is in the book and and in a way that I think Wolf Hall um you know other recent historical fiction also shortlisted for the women's prize the mirror and the light which also follows you know mm. real life character and set in a similar time it's such a part of the story that it's about Cromwell it's about Henry VIII and his court and that story whereas so it feels quite important that it's about him whereas Hamnet feels like it could just kind of be anyone very hard to explain <laughs> if anyone has read it and wants to weigh in please do because yeah. i can't because i would feel like almost like the it, having not read it the fact that it could almost be anyone be a plus point in that it's Ooh. sort of saying that this is this is a universal experience and grief is we all feel grief in different ways but grief is is a universal experience that we all 
yeah that happens to all of us at some point yeah do you know um, i think and i think that's probably she's doing that very intentionally i think that's part of the reason why she doesn't name him either because it's very much about mm. you don't you don't have to think of it as being about shakespeare um mm. and also the fact that you know hamlet is he obviously wrote the play hamlet a few years after hamlet's death and i think hamlet and hamlet are variations therein so it's kind of I, again i don't i can't i couldn't dive into the history of it but i think a lot of historians think that hamlet was kind of drawn from hamlet and uh, i don't know hamlet well enough to know how that intersects i mean hamlet's a bit of a dick isn't he yeah and he's also a lot older <laughs> so it feels like if hamlet is based on hamlet i mean yeah i mean maybe they has had different perceptions of you know what makes a cool guy but i wonder yeah i think it's i think it's that thing but... of um he's writing about he's like using his creativity to as like a catharsis when he's grieving so he wrote hamlet to kind of like get closure from his son's death i honestly have no idea i will say i don't know why i'm reading it now because hamlet dies of like the plague basically and there's a really interesting chapter probably my favorite chapter where it talks about where they talk about a scene where the plague started from this flea and it got on the ship mm-hmm. and how it spread amongst people and reading that during a pandemic i don't know why i'm doing that to myself because that mm. is just pretty horrendous <laughs> It's funny because I had the similar thought when I was reading Wolf Hall a little while ago during pandemic and it was so interesting to kind of read yeah about their experiences of plague because it was Mm. literally every year they'd be like oh winter's coming yeah it's the summer sickness gotta get ready for that plague and like you know send the girls out of London into the countryside to protect them and yeah that they were kind of of course without modern medicine you didn't really have there's nothing you could do about it. Mm. Um, and so odd to think what we're experiencing now as being so strange and unusual it's just like an annual occurrence it's weird and I remember reading about um, back at school when we studied English and it was about um, my teacher said that in the Victorian times because kids would just die so easily that a lot of Victorian parents just thought of their children more as pets than as actual people there was like this always element of risk like oh I don't know if they're actually going to survive to adulthood don't know if that's true or not that's always what my teacher said but yeah, it's pretty weird. It's it is weird reading about plagues. Well, we're obviously in the UK and things are sort of lifting. So by the time this goes out, who knows where we'll be? We may actually be in a second lockdown because I've been seeing some people who are not social distancing when they've been out and about. So I don't feel hopeful that this is going to last for very long. Um, on the on our new section, the adaptation oh, station. Adaptation station. <laughs> Because we talk about adaptations every time we meet on this podcast. We do love adaptation. I actually haven't got an adaptation I've watched, but I was thinking about watching A Suitable Boy and I was wondering if you had watched it or were thinking about it. I have. I've watched the first episode. I I didn't actually know it was based on a novel, which I feel very guilty about because it's a very well-known novel. I think it's one of the the longest novels ever written or something in English. Ah. It's like 1,300 pages, something like that. I didn't love it. I'll be honest with you. Well, I haven't read the book and I haven't seen it. So I will go on your judgment. <laughs> Good. Um, have you read the... Well, I was about to say, have you read the book? You didn't know I did not know. Book, so I'm going to guess. No. <laughs> I know it's by Vikram Seth. Yes. And I think it's basically a story of a woman trying to... No, she does she get... This is great podcast content. <laughs> yeah, cracking. <laughs> We've done our research. Um, what happens in the first episode that we can Yeah, I think... Well, I think the novel is about... I guess it's kind of the story of partition and, you know, India's independence and the kind of chaos that that caused, which I've always been really fascinated by. I remember that the BBC did an amazing series of documentaries about it a few years back, so it was the 50th anniversary. Or no, 
70th anniversary i forget what year we're in so yeah the start the opening episode it, it is following a young woman and you know the typical indian parents quest to find a suitable boy i've also been watching indian matchmaking on netflix Shout oh my god okay we can have a matchmaking um, <laughs> matchmaking section of the podcast too yeah because i've also been watching it oh fantastic i mean just to add some context to this um i am half indian so there's like an element i find all this quite interesting so sorry yeah suitable boy is it's it's follow, it's following this woman and her search for a husband and obviously she's a student and she meets a man and I'm sure I think there are other men that are going to pop up but I haven't watched any more but it's against this backdrop of these kind of interreligious tensions and which was a real you know byproduct of partition when they basically cut India in half and segmented Pakistan and were like this is where the Muslims go um, and lots of towns are pretty much ripped apart overnight yeah the show I'm not see to me and I and I have read a couple of people saying this it feels a little bit like or an English colonial fantasy of what India is um, mm. even the fact they've got like Holly Festival of Colours in episode one and they've got a wedding and they've got these very I've actually read that because it's got a, a brilliant cast I think it's known for being a really diverse cast where they they bring in a lot of actual Indian actors and apparently they're put there they were asked to put on really strong Indian accents to the point where Indian audiences are watching it being like what the hell are they why are they talking like that like it's it's kind of feels like it's designed for English people to watch and enjoy and feel like oh that's what India is as opposed to being like an accurate depiction of India mm. but I didn't really notice I mean that wasn't a big thing for me I just found the romance a bit boring and I guess that's probably the the what the show should be should uh, focus around but I mean I'm only one episode in I'm excited I will probably watch more I was gonna ask are you gonna watch are you gonna watch the rest yeah I think so um I don't feel drawn to it but I would like I am quite intrigued to see where it's gonna go I'm more just intrigued because when I read about afterwards that it's based on this you know really long famous book that I thought oh okay there mm. is actually a bit of meat here it's not just you know like a Downton Abbey in India type thing yeah so one one of the things that someone mentioned to me which is interesting is that the screenwriter is Andrew Davies yeah um, I spotted that in the credits sounds like very, thought, oh. it's a very western name and that's because he is a British screenwriter and he is famous for writing for writing adaptations particularly kind of um Georgian era so lots of Pride and Prejudice adaptations and I think people are obviously going to feel strongly about about that, I guess, in that it's a, it's a story set in India about Indian people with a yeah a mm. British a white British screenwriter that did really shock me when I saw that in the credits. Yeah. I was very but then surprised. other people I've seen talking about it have said that was he's kind of the perfect screenwriter because the themes that he deals with in his adaptations are very similar to the ones being used. But again, I think I, yeah, I struggle to see the rationale behind it when you're going to be dealing with the the speech and the tones and the the language of yeah, yeah and just the culture of it all i mean in terms of the the thing around arranged marriages and the pressure for for important marriages i mean i suppose that was that yeah you could argue that is an aspect of a lot of english period dramas for example i have been watching downton abbey very recently there is those similarities there you know the pressure on finding a husband that's a good match in terms of financial and all this kind of stuff which i imagine yeah is probably relevant but I still, I don't know, it's still, it, I feel like it almost simplifies it a bit. It's, there's a lot of, there's a lot more nuances to it that even, I mean, even shows like Indian matchmaking on Netflix have been criticised by Indians for being a little bit just too, like, oh, this is what mm. Westerners expect of India. I mean, yeah, I give it a go. Yeah. I would, I would be intrigued to watch more and also read more and see more. I have nothing for Adaptation Station, but I was going to ask you 
if you what your what you think is an adaptation that's better than the book oh <laughs> oh my goodness uh, i mean we had not even got into the topic of the podcast yet oh my so god this is... what's better than the book i mean i'm gonna say i know we talked about it last week i still think lord of the rings is better film is better than the book <laughs> to be honest there's a lot of the book i can't really remember but you're right i mean the lord of the rings film is amazing and there probably is a lot of the trilogy that you can probably cut i think there were pretty big sections of lord of the rings that i did skip maybe okay now i was, I was about to say something really bad i was gonna say um oh no say it war and peace because i couldn't get through war and peace Ooh, hot <laughs> Whereas I could... which what <laughs> which war and peace adaptation the bbc uh, one yeah it's got james norton in it that one yeah with um lee james and yeah oh what's his name he plays pierre and he's wonderful shout out to james norton who i've actually met whilst i worked for jdrf the type 1 diabetes charity so yeah me and james norton buddies he's pretty dishy yeah i mean i spoke to him for like a full five minutes about artificial pancreases so we're pretty tight wow (laughs) that sounds a riveting conversation i love that yeah that's a great adaptation i i don't know if i'd say it's better than the book well i don't know i think you're right in that it does i mean i i have read the book and i think the good adaptations are things that take the essence of the book but basically trim it down quite a lot to a really consumable storyline which i think that show did really Mm. well i mean obviously they had to sort of play down certain characters but yeah i did like that adaptation as well what's his name oh paul Paul dano paul dano i was about to say paul kano but that's not a person (laughs) he yeah i I mean that felt like golden casting like when he walked in i was like that's him that's pierre good should we actually get stuck into what we're doing yeah so go ahead explain what we're all about Yes, so the concept of the podcast is you have to imagine you've been put into a certain situation and you've been allowed to put together a selection of books to help you get through it. So your literary first aid kit. These books, they might help you cope in that they're instructional, they're inspirational, or they just help to take your mind off things. You can read them before or during your scenario, depending on what it is. They can be fiction, they can be epic poetry, they can be bloody penguin non-fiction books whatever you like so this week's theme is time travel Woo! um i actually want want to very just quickly say that i I met up with a friend recently and he said he was at a party having a conversation about what your ideal superpower would be and apparently everybody said time travel which i think is the wrong choice the correct choice is teleportation oh my gosh yeah you're right teleportation Think of how great that power The number would be. of times I've wished I could apparate oh, yeah. is greater than the number of times I've wished I could go back Just in time. Just think, you'd never have to pack anything. You'd never have to travel anywhere. Oh, God, it's perfection. But time travel is a cool superpower. Well, it is and it isn't. I mean, we'll get into that, I guess, when we talk about our, mm. our pieces. But I just think it depends where you're travelling. It really matters where you're going to be travelling. And true. I would say, as a woman, I'm not sure there's that many places I want to travel to in the past. Very true, Yeah. But that's going to be a theme for one of my picks. So I'm not going to go into interesting. It if you could time travel anywhere, where would you go? Uh, well, are, are we including future? Oh yeah. Do I want to go into the future? Well, I mean, I can come back. So yeah, maybe I just go into the future and see what's going on, see what they've got. Or I could invest in certain shares and then get rich. <laughs> well, I mean, I'll talk about this in my books as well. But I, I'm kind of of the belief that if you're going to time travel, you're not allowed to meddle in any way. You, you're an observer. No casual observer. So I like to think I'd go back to like medieval times and just see how accurate our modern day depictions of medieval times are. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you could, you know, be very practical about it and go and really shake some things up. 
I actually watched the Avengers film last night where, spoiler, they time travel. You can get in a whole lot of knots messing around with time. I remember watching the butterfly effect years ago and it really freaked me out. Oh, and Looper is another time travel film that freaked me out because they do things in the past and it immediately impacts on the future. So like in Looper, there's bit they like chop each other's oh, yeah. arms off and stuff in the past. So then you have a character who's in the present day who suddenly like looks down and their arms are missing and they're like, oh my God. I don't like that idea I think there are two there are two kind of thought processes of time travel and it's the thing that if you change the past it Mm. immediately affects your current future or if you change the past it kind of spins off and create an alternate reality I guess or that time is fixed and it doesn't matter what you do or always see that's actually considered a paradox I think in a lot of travel uh, time travel sci-fi fiction the idea that you can't change the past or or you can go back kind of like i don't know if you've seen the third harry potter film but where they go back and do things that they've already witnessed Mm. themselves doing and i think that's the only way it makes sense to me whereas some people say that's a paradox and that you can't cause something to happen in the past that you only know happens because you've seen it anyway (laughs) let's let's talk about books that's what we're here for (laughs) should i jump in with my first pick yeah please do so also for people who haven't listened to before i mean we've had one episode though it's going to be a small group of people (laughs) if you've skipped the murders (laughs) one of the things that we don't do we don't tell each other what we're going to bring to each session so there always is the risk that we're going to have chosen the same book and i'm wondering whether this will be one of those cases because there is a very obvious choice in sort of the recent literature mm, okay really it's a bit it. obscure my book my books are very okay weird, fine yeah. in that case i'm going for quite a bait one quite an obvious one which I is think i know time, what it is time traveler's wife hey that's exactly what <laughs> so time traveler's wife is is a time travel story and it is about a man called henry who has a genetic disorder that means he travels uncontrollably through time so he doesn't have any choice about where he goes a genetic disorder um wow. called oh i f- didn't write down what it's called but it's sort of called chromio impairment i think or chromo impairment um <laughs> but he yeah so he doesn't have any choice about where he goes and he doesn't have any choice about when he goes he just suddenly gets jerked in back into the, his own past and when he is in his late 20s he meets this an artist called claire in a library who appears to know him um and it turns out that claire has in fact known henry almost all of her life because he's been traveling back in time to meet her and after this meeting henry starts to do that traveling back in time process and then they go on to have this relationship together and have to deal with the struggles um, that come with henry's disorder and his spending time away and disappearing suddenly and they have to kind of learn to cope with this whilst trying to uncover what has what causes his his time travel so it's very it, it was a massive bestseller it got made into a film with amy what's her face Rachel McAdams. Rachel McAdams. They're all called Amy. And a guy. Didn't do this bit of research. I just did um, the Eric Banner. Eric Banner. That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll edit that if it's wrong. So <laughs> I think it's right. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> I trust my own geeky film knowledge. I really, I think it did really well at the box office. So yeah, very popular book, very popular film. I would absolutely recommend it to anyone who hasn't read it. I think it's a really fun read. Um, you really well written you really get into the characters romance and their story and it's yeah very kind of soppy and heartfelt as well um and of course has this sort of sci-fi twist on it and i read an interview with audrey niffenegger where she said that she didn't really view it as a sci-fi book although it has sci-fi elements not that she kind of dislikes it being sci-fi she's fine she was kind of fine with it is my impression just that she doesn't think of it as a sci-fi book because really at its heart it's a story about a romance and a relationship 
and that it was inspired by her own experiences of kind of struggling to find love and often being with men who were unavailable and distant, which I thought was really interesting. But the wow. reason I would pack it into my first aid kit for my time travel and adventures is that it is actually an example of where what you do in the past becomes part of the future. So it kind of becomes part of that paradox. I was going to say that sounds, because is it that he meets her because he's already exactly. met her? So then he's like, oh, well, now I know that I'm going to meet this person. And I would argue that, yeah, that comes back to our paradox of causality. So it would maybe help me kind of work out whether the time travel scenario I'm in is one in which I can impact on the future. Because, yeah, exactly that. You sort of go around in rings thinking, hang on, he only goes back in time to meet her as a child because he's already had a relationship with her, but she only knows to come and find him because she's met him as a child. Where does it, where did their relationship actually start? Um, Is that a bit creepy that he meets her as a child? It's definitely creepy in retrospect. Yeah. (laughs) It depends where you think the relationship starts, right? Because if he meets, I I guess, because if he meets her as an adult and then she's like, okay, well, when you go back in time, go back and find me and I'll help you, then that's kind Uh, of okay. But then the only reason she's saying that is because she met this adult man when she's like eight years old. Not that anything happens when she's eight. Like nothing happens until she's 18. But it's still, it is a bit weird. But I don't know. I I felt in the book it didn't feel weird. But yeah, Mm. if you look at it objectively, it's a bit odd. I've not read it, but I've seen the film. I I quite like the film. I like Rachel McAdams. Everything she does, I'm like, yeah. She's good at a romance, isn't she? She's got... Yeah, she's done a lot of these... But then I kind of love that she's also done like Mean Girls and like these really avant-garde comedies where she's quite chameleon-esque in that way. But she is, yeah, she is a very, a rom-com heroine. Great pick. I think that's a good point. Yeah. And it's sort of the other thing about this idea of time that you, it doesn't really matter what you do, that the path is set is, it then has, it, it kind of taps into these themes of acceptance. Ultimately, Claire and Henry have to accept that, remember if it's a, what's going to be a spoiler or not but there's something that Henry learns is going to happen and they have to kind of accept that and they have to accept that their relationship Mm. is going to be this way so there is this theme within the book of kind of accepting your an imperfect relationship and kind of finding the happiness in your current situation even if there's nothing you can do to change it which I think obviously context dependent whether that's an approach you take in your life but there are sometimes situations where you can't change something in your life and learning how to accept it rather than kind of rage against it is a valuable lesson so Mm. I think if I was in a if I found myself time traveling and I was like oh I could I could change this I could make the world better if I did this thing and realizing that I couldn't have an impact I could use this book to help me come to terms with the fact that yeah, I can't, I can't stop Donald Trump running for president. They talk about that a bit in Doctor Who. I think it's the the idea that, because obviously Doctor Who, he travels around a lot, travels around time a lot, making things happen. But there's these moments, I can't remember what the terminology is, but it's the idea that these, there are certain moments that have to happen that you can't go back and prevent. Mm. Which I guess is the, screen way, the screenwriter's way of being like, we don't have to, you know, write how Doctor Who didn't save the Titanic or something like that that yeah or didn't kill hitler or... yeah the, the classic time yeah, travel the classic time travel <laughs> but no i think that's a really good that kind of leads on to one of my books as well about the idea of accepting what has happens has to happen and that's why i think it would be a bit scary to time travel to the future because you might not like what you see mm. but if you have that thing of well you're not allowed yeah. to or you there is no way of preventing it i think that would be quite a scary 
prospect, I suppose. There's like a there's a internet meme, isn't there, about how we're on the wrong timeline because we've got Trump and we've got COVID mm. and people are like, I want to be on the other timeline. I've seen a lot of. <laughs> I've seen a lot of jokes about how when David Bowie died, it kind of like derailed the universe because everything kind of started to free fall from uh, 2016 onwards, basically. And he died January 2016, I think. So, I mean, I support that theory. I feel like we're, yeah. yeah. We just have to satisfy ourselves with the fact that there is another version of us enjoying the summer in 2020. <laughs> Having yeah. a great time. I hope she's doing well. Um, so what is what is your first one? that ties in nicely yeah so my one i went a bit more uh instructional in terms of and i'm thinking um specifically about time Mm. travel in the past so i'm also thinking i don't know if this is a thing or not but in terms of time travel i'm imagining you stay where you are you don't necessarily time travel onto a different country oh yeah yeah i feel like in most cases you tend to just stay where you are yeah so i put on my list i'm putting in my kit a short history of england by simon jenkins that's such a good idea i didn't even think of that kind of thing (laughs) this is a much more sensible first thing already (laughs) well whenever you get non-fiction involved i mean it's pretty much a no-brainer you're like okay now i've got a manual i just think i'd read it before i'd probably have it on me as well if i'm going back in time i want to know what's going on and i am not a historian so i think having a book like that and and i've read this a couple years ago it is a really good succinct factual look at a history of england from start Mm. to now effectively and i think that no depending on where i'm going that would probably be really helpful just to give me a sense of um who's in charge (laughs) what's going on i mean this is it there there are some moments in history where i'm sure i would have a good sense of what's Mm. happening but at other times i think a book like this would be really handy i mean it is the kind of book that you think god forbid someone else got their hands on it in the past and then that would be quite a a weird imagine imagine that imagine time travel coming back from the future and they've got with them a book about what happens after i guess it comes back to that idea of knowing the future well depending on where you are they might think you're some kind of witch well yeah that'd be disastrous if they're like what's this book of the future exactly actually actually i'm going to shout out my friend because uh the one who was talking about time travel at a party because he said that if he could go back in time he would actually go back to native america before it was discovered by europeans and vaccinate Mm. all the um the natives and also arm them and i just love the idea of a guy coming back from the future holding a needle being like i'm from the future let me stab you with this needle because it will help you i have a feeling that's probably not going to go that well but i think that comes back to you know you're saying about being a witch like going back in time and being in modern clothing in any way is going to look really weird and scary and to you i mean yeah maybe being half indian they'll be like you look crazy where who are you you must be an alien or something i've no idea again depends where you go but short history of england i think that would be a good manual to have with me and that's it's as simple as that (laughs) there is a podcast which i think i've recommended to you before so if you prefer to listen to your non-fiction as sort of podcasts and audiobooks which i tend to do i I tend to read fiction and then sort of my non fiction stuff I get on podcasts but I would really recommend the British History podcast if anyone is interested in British history as well as reading next recommendation but the British History podcast is as the title suggests 
a very long history of the British Isles. I've been listening from the very beginning and it started in like 2017. So I've got a long way to go, but it's just sort of really, just really chilled out delivery. He just sort of tells stories like all these Roman emperors are just these guys that he knows. It's just done really well. And it's really kind of digestible chunks of British history. And I feel like in school, I feel like our history was basically Tudors and World War II. Bit of suffragettes. Bit of suffragettes. Like, yeah, a mm. bit of World War One as well. But lots of modern histories in, like, the last sort of 100 to 200 mm. years. And then, yeah, the Tudors. But I really I really struggle with kind of knowledge around, like, what was going on when the Romans were here. And I sort of know roughly who was around and what they were doing, but not a lot. So I'd definitely be mm, at sea if I landed true. on the British Isles during, yeah, Roman occupation. I wouldn't know what was going on or who was in charge. The thing as well with these books is, like, I felt, with this book particularly, I felt like it was way more exciting up until the more recent Mm. history. It was much more interesting learning about these really ancient emperors and invaders and, I mean, yeah, including some of the Tudor stuff, all that kind of royal history. When you got to the bit where politics came in and, you know, political parties mm. came in it got kind of a bit boring we have a lot of interesting history when i since i've been listening to the british history podcast as well is that i suppose i had this view of the romans with these really civilized people that came in and brought yeah brought civilization to the british isles and yes they had a lot of technical advances for their time but there was a really organized native population that fought back and had a society and you know, had their own culture. And I mean, I, I sort of, I knew that to an extent, but not to the extent that is the truth, I guess. I feel like my sort of, yeah, history of, of Britain is that basically nothing happened and the Romans came. <laughs> <laughs> Which, completely false. So maybe you need to time travel back there and yeah, find out what's going on. Of, and be burnt yeah. as a witch. Yeah, be burnt as a witch when I get my, like, my book out. Also, I wonder, um, of course, literacy probably not that high oh very true so i don't know how they'd take to that in fact i think certainly not modern english as well yeah when paganism was sort of the the thing i think that only the priests were allowed to read so actually being able to read is was probably a bad thing but as you say very different language so yeah Uh, yeah i I don't want to go too much into the history because i'm so yeah we're gonna get it wrong (laughs) history and literate yeah we barely research our books like let's not attempt (laughs) to do any actual (laughs) history facts we're very bad at this (laughs) we just really like talking about books i think that's enough (laughs) but that is that is a great shout and i mean yeah on the similar Mm. theme maybe maybe take some kind of like oldie english dictionary interesting what's your second book so my second book is on a similar theme to my first one so not practical at all didn't think practical in a practical way no that's good that's way more interesting to listen to i went for boring (laughs) it's just an excuse to kind of go back through everything i've read and be like yeah um so (laughs) the second book that i want to talk a bit about is kindred by octavia butler so Mm. octavia butler wrote this in 1985 And she's an American author and she tells the story of Dana, who's an African-American woman living in the 1970s USA. And it's another case of being pulled back in time against your will. But she's pulled back in time against her will to plantation in the US in 1815. So this is obviously not a great time to be black in America. Not that there's necessarily a brilliant time as um, recent protests have highlighted. But this is particularly bad news for Dana. Finds herself 
kind of connected to Rufus, who's the son of the plantation owner. And Dana kind of travels back and forth between 1970s USA and kind of early to mid 1800s. And she's always, always appears near to Rufus. And she kind of comes to realise that her fate is entwined with Rufus's and she has to keep him alive to protect herself and to protect some of the slaves on his plantation. And yeah, it's as the story goes on, her period of time travel kind of covers, I think, just a few weeks, but it covers Rufus's kind of entire life. And so she gets him at important points in her life. And at the beginning, she meets him when he's very young and she wonders if maybe, or she kind of sees him as quite innocent child. And then by the time it gets towards the end of the book, he's totally taken on the beliefs of his father and the white people living around him in the South, you know, committed slave owner doing a sort of really atrocious things. And Dana has to, yeah, like stay alive in this terrible situation. So this one, I would take along with me as a reminder of some of the things we've been discussing today which is that time travel is all very well and sounds lots of fun until you find yourself in a time period where being who you are is not be a very pleasant time and I think of course being yeah an African-American during the period when slavery was legal definitely not very good I'm sure there are many thousands of years where being a woman is not particularly great certainly yeah being in sort of European country and being a person of colour not very great so you've got choices about where you're travelling to think carefully about where you're going to go and how you're going to cope when you're there because it might not be that straightforward but yeah it's also I'm also mentioning it because I think it's a really um, a really good book yeah it feels like quite a modern book you know 1985 not very long ago but even so in literary terms I think it still felt like a very modern book like something you could read to, that could be published today and of course tackling issues that echo through through time in America but of course also beyond America you know echo in the in the UK as well and uh, as demonstrated by the pro- Black Lives Matters protests in the UK and the protests against monuments to colonialists and slave owners so it's it's a really great book in terms of being very readable and, and sort of enjoyable and as an adventure but of course also tackling these really serious issues and sort of I guess just addressing them in a way that is digestible even though still very shocking. Wow I think that's such an interesting point as well that you don't often read books where they look at that sort of thing that the fact that the character's identity is not going to be received Mm. well necessarily i haven't read a whole lot of time travel books but i've watched a lot of time travel tv shows and films obviously it pops up all the time i mean and that isn't really a thing and i wonder if that's because as is the way of media a lot of it is written by white men who don't necessarily know that feeling of being somewhere where you you would be under threat just for being who you are you know if i think of like really basic examples like you know mm-hmm. you're saying the time traveler's wife i don't imagine that mm-hmm. henry was that his name would ever feel that it was risky to go to a certain point in time or i don't know you're back to the future yeah. marty mcfly i don't think he felt like imagine you know if that had been a whole different story if that had been about a black woman going back to 1950s america that could have been a whole different mm experience and that's really interesting i like the idea of exploring that and also looking at what's changed and what still needs to be improved i guess in terms of for all for people who who do live these marginalized existences in it's interesting what you say about the time traveler's wife because one of the things about henry's time travel is that he like ends up naked when he time travels because his clothes stay uh, in the present yeah. day so he just materializes in this in this place in the past and he is like naked and vulnerable and it does talk about how he is really vulnerable in that situation. He kind of like has to find clothes and how does he deal with like being in this position? But I feel like even though that is a really vulnerable position for anyone, if you made that a woman, 
that would be yeah. kind of another level of risk that might feel uncomfortable yeah. to read about. That is borderline traumatic yeah. to think of. Um, so yeah. it is interesting, and I wonder if um, I wonder if Audrey Nifinega thought about swapping the roles and making it a woman. I wonder why she decided mm. it was Henry who was going to be the time the time traveller rather than the wife, you know? Well, I guess, I mean, if you say she kind of based it on her own imaginative thing about her own relationships and being with these distant men, it kind of makes sense that he's the traveller. But that would be a whole other level of story. And it's also interesting talking about who's the person who travels. Um, Again, reading a bit around Kindred, I read that originally Octavia Butler had was going to make the protagonist a man, so the person who was time travelling would be a man, a black man. But she she decided to make the time traveller a woman because she thought that a black man appearing out of nowhere in that time period would immediately have been considered a threat and probably would have just been killed. Like he would just been considered dangerous, a runaway, whatever it was, and they would have just killed him. Where she thought a woman could potentially kind of use her femininity as a way to show kind of saying oh i'm not i'm not dangerous and then also could actually use that femininity to lure people into a false sense of security about her and you know she, obviously she's going back as an educated woman from the 1970s so she could present herself as, as a slave woman but have all of the skills and abilities that come with being a, a modern american woman so yeah she can kind of use that to let people underestimate her but yeah she just thought you know Mm. if it was a male character he wouldn't get very far and yeah and generally i think again having a bit of read around so she said she sort of she did lots of research i mean i should say if i haven't already that she is an african-american author but she did lots of research around slavery and what life was like on plantations for slaves as well as slave owners and she said that basically she sort of toned down some of the violence it's it's there's a lot of violence in there it's not very nice and but she said she actually kind of toned it down because she just thought it would be too much to be commercially viable Mm. but that generally which is just yeah generally historians and people who've reviewed who kind of read the book and reviewed it felt that it it was it felt pretty accurate you know the sorts of things that she was mentioning Um, and i will say that yeah as you can imagine not very nice things there's a book um i really want to read but i'm also very frightened to read but i think it's quite an important book and it's about uh, female slave owners or the wives of plantation owners and I, th- I, th- I can't remember what it's called it's really gonna bother me again I'll, I'll figure it out and I'll tweet it <laughs> I'll put it in the description somewhere but it's and it, I think it talks a little bit about I guess it's it's sort of used as the lens of looking at how white women have enjoyed certain privileges that black women have not or other women of color have not and that's why we should be very cautious conflating mm-hmm. white feminism with fem- feminism on the whole or not looking more in depth into it but it's apparently it's a really you know really horrifying about it is seeing the level of horrific torture these slave owners i guess both male and female that would put their slaves through and i've, I've seen i've read enough sort of anecdotally i know we talked a bit about um the underground railroad and um something like beloved and you see these just horrendously hideous acts of violence that I could imagine that if you want to write quite a commercial book, you do have to tone it down because it's so sadistic. Yeah, that's just, and that's just horrifying that that's real life and Mm. how absolutely devastating. And everyone should, you know, educate themselves on it as much as possible to have more of a a nuanced look at the history of racism, I guess. Something that we talked about before, but not on the podcast, um, 
was when we're talking about the Black Lives Matter movement here in the UK is that we, I think mm. because of the what we're taught in schools and just a lack of education, a lot of people don't think of slavery as a thing that happened in the US and it didn't happen in the UK, didn't happen in Britain and we weren't really that involved. Whereas, um, you know, British people owned slaves. They, you know, lived, they lived their whole lives in the UK, but they had shares in slaves on plantations and they owned plantations and they made money off them. So the stain of slavery is not just something that is American it's very much British Mm. as well and you know other kind of colonial empires so yeah and I think you know if we again it's it's a recurring theme of that we have these books that are that where the story is maybe about time travel but actually this is a really important story about about the atrocities that were inflicted upon millions of black people in the USA and telling it through this protagonist, through this modern protagonist sort of makes it so much more, especially much more jarring, but I mean, it is jarring anyway, but I suppose, you know, you're looking at it through a different lens. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. You can, and also it contextualizes it because it's very easy to think that, oh, this is the past and this doesn't happen anymore. Whereas if you use a modern mm. protagonist who's still experiencing racism, but in this very different way and feeling the knock on effect yeah. of it, and that kind of generational trauma from it is quite an interesting way of exploring it. Yeah, sounds great. I really want to read that book. The, like the last thing I'll just mention is that I think exactly that point is symbolising the fact that Dana is married to a white man in, in the modern America and he gets pulled into the sort of time travel vortex at one point and he gets trapped in the past as well. And of course they can't be together so he has a very different experience of course as a white man in that period and they have to kind of come to terms with that when they sort of come back to the modern time they kind of have to have this reckoning within their relationship of what that means about their different experiences and what the reality is in the modern day of being a white man versus a black woman so yeah it's really like it's very deep book also very readable so i think good it's a good recommendation for anyone who wants to read about that period anyway and would be kind of a sobering reminder for my time travels that it's not all about going to 1920s and enjoying the jazz you know there are some kind of the past (laughs) is full of terrible terrible events so it's not always going to be good don't don't fetishize the past i guess yeah definitely cool well shall i go to my second book yes it's kind of interesting what you're saying about using time travel to talk about themes of the past and ideas so i did a bit of what you did where i went back over my goodreads account and looked at what i'd read and thought you know that what would i want to take with me um and one of the things i pulled up was slaughterhouse five have you read it i I have it on my list but i decided not to talk about it because i couldn't remember the details well enough (laughs) I was just going to say you could help me out because I'm a little bit hazy on the details because I read it such a long time ago. But it is a book that I remember time travel being quite a significant theme in it. So Slaughterhouse Five, I don't actually have its Wikipedia page up, so I don't know what you're about. <laughs> I'm actually brilliant at research. Um, I didn't realise it has the subheader of The Children's Crusade, A Duty Dance with Death. Oh, yeah, me neither. So it's uh, by Kurt Vonnegut. It's a very famous book. It was published in 1969 and it follows a protagonist called Billy Pilgrim think he's kind of based on Kurt Vonnegut in, in some of his experiences. He is involved in World War Two. He becomes um, a prisoner of war during World War Two, which Vonnegut also experienced as an American serviceman in the war. Uh, but it does also get very, very sci-fi and trippy. And later it kind of goes... It's told in a very disjointed way, kind of goes back and forth um, around his life. Later on in life, he gets kidnapped by aliens called the... 
I'm not going to pronounce this, the Tralfamadorians. And they, the Tralfamadorians, <laughs> say that quickly, time travel in the sense that they don't see time as a linear thing. They experience all moments of time, all the time. It's kind of very, I guess, like a circular kind of experience of time. And he, I think he gets put on display in like a zoo there. Uh, in their on their home planet and gets matched up with a porn star mm. and gets to have lots of sex. So he's having a pretty great time with the Travel Majorians. This is a it is a weird book. Isn't it, it is very weird. It's very short considering quite a lot happens in it. And the, one of the things I remember very clearly about the Travel Majorians is they look at death from a very pragmatic way. And every time someone mm. dies, they say their kind of motto is "Oh, and so it goes." Just the you know this thing of someone dies. That's the, that's life you know literally that's death and that's just the way that the the world works so biddy kind of becomes unlatched from time i guess and and has this sort of weird experience of life where he goes back and forth quite a lot and uh, yeah i mean if it sounds bonkers it is do read it it is very interesting but but the reason i chose it is because actually i liked i, I remember very clearly kind of liking that idea that they're trial for madorians mm. i don't know why i keep saying it when i i'm probably saying it wrong <laughs> Just say the aliens. Yeah. <laughs> it's because I've got the Wikipedia page off. I'm like, oh, look at that fancy word. Yeah, the aliens. I like the way that they think of time in the sense that it's a little bit like we were talking about earlier and with our pal Doctor Who, or the Doctor, I shouldn't say Doctor Who, where you have to accept certain fates and you have to accept that the way that the world progresses is the way it progresses. And I guess the aliens don't travel through time as such it, rather than rather they just see time as not a linear thing so in their way they don't they couldn't even change the past if they wanted to because it's not a mm. thing that you can go in and mess around with it's just it exists in a very real unchangeable way i suppose and i think it would be that would be a good thing to remember from that sense if i was a time traveler to just think you know that fate is not something that you can go in and mess around with it is it does exist as its own entity and you have to accept things and i kind of i just find and so it goes is a really sort of powerful way of thinking about death mm. and, and in a very in, a, in that it's very calm but it is also quite weighty it, it it just sums it up really well this idea that you know think bad things happen and that's just life that's just the universe yeah and yeah that's that's why i picked it um, what do you think of it? Yeah, it's one of those books that is just, I would say the plot hasn't stuck with me because I was like, what happened? It is bonkers. <laughs> but I'm really, I'm just generally bad at remembering plots, which means this podcast is great for me because I have to go back and like remember what happens in books. But like, I really remember how books make me feel. And then I have to remind myself why they made me feel that. But anyway, in this case, like I remember sort of satisfied uh, making me feel a lot. And a lot of it was like just horror because some, horrible stuff happens because mm. like the dresden bombing fe features a lot in yes it. yeah and i think there's like a scene where he discovers something horrific in a basement in dresden when when they're kind of clearing debris when he's a pow but yeah there's like lots of really awful things happen which i remember just being shocked by and then just the feel of the book because it's so meta and it's so unusual um I remember thinking yeah, about it a lot. I think I, I know what you mean in terms of the plot, but I think I'm quite good at remembering plots in terms of, yeah, uh, plots often stay with me in some books that I've read years and years and years ago. But this particular book, I barely remembered anything. And I wonder if that's almost because of the way it's told and the time jumpiness of it and the fact it's very short and the fact that, yeah, these really, really heavy moments are packed in alongside some really sort of lighter mm -hmm. sci-fi kind of almost cheeky moments like they do, you know, some porn star being put in the, zoo with him that it makes you 
kind of builds this exp- this reading experience of just being like, what the hell? Rather than feeling like, oh, this is a clear mm. narrative and this is a plot and this is what I can follow. So yeah, so basically don't don't put yourself down for that. I think that's the nature of the book. But I, I, what I did not realise, I don't know if you've read any other Kurt Vonnegut. I have not. I have, yeah. Um, I've read like Cat's oh, Cradle and... I went on a bit of a Vonnegut. I don't know why I sounded shocked then. <laughs> I went on a bit of a Vonnegut splurge, I think. Oh, cool. So have you, because the, the, I'm going to say it again, the Tralfamadorians, they come up quite a few times, right? They, yeah, I think they so. Again, a aforementioned issue with remembering plots. <laughs> I can't remember. Like, I'm not going to try and remember. There's, yeah, I mean, they're all kind of a bit trippy in science fiction. I have a lot of love for like deep sci-fi. Like every now and then I come across a book that's like really really sci-fi i really love hard sci-fi films like i love the martian and i love like anything set in space but i don't know i tend to prefer sort of more i guess the term these days is like speculative Mm. fiction where it's like a slight element of sci-fi and then everything else is kind of normal i tend to prefer those sorts of books rather than and i don't know why that is yeah like your philip k dicks and your ian m banks you don't they're, they're more like heavy sci-fi I always think mm. having said that I do love Philip K. Dick so I'm just disproving my own feelings well one book I read that I was tempted to put on here but I didn't because I couldn't really think of enough of a clear sci-fi uh, time travel parallel is Hyperion by I think it's by Dan Simmons and he mm-hmm. that is like I don't know if you've read that that is a really brilliant book and that is very weird intense sci-fi and it does explore the idea of time travel i mean in it there's a character that she starts to age backwards and it's kind of that idea of like oh, like benjamin button yeah sort of. and, and almost in a, <laughs> but that was another example where i thought oh that's kind of and that's what i like about sword house five i feel like it kind of treads the line between being quite like serious war fiction to then just really mental sci-fi exactly exploring exploring ideas through a specific genre and it being like a war story and exploring mm. the horrors of war through just a slightly different genre than you might usually get you know not a historical fiction i mean it's not written in the 1960s so the war at that point didn't, probably didn't feel very historical yeah but yeah sort of exploring a traumatic period through a, a different lens i remember there's a scene in it where they do this really long march and not really a friend but someone he's got a bit close to in this group of prisoners of war is wearing these clogs rather than boots yes yeah and i think a german soldier takes his boots off him and swaps for his crappy clogs and he has to walk miles and miles and miles in these ill-fitting wooden shoes and by the time he's getting towards the end of this march his feet are just destroyed in a pulpy mess and i just remember reading that i don't know why Mm. that scene stuck in my head but to this day I just feel like really horrified about it. I just think because the idea of it's maybe not the worst thing that's happened in a war, but the idea of it being forced, I don't know, forced to have this experience. Well, it kind of comes back to the kind of almost what we were saying about with the, not to compare these scenarios, but almost what we were saying about with the slavery, where it's like these kind of yeah. needlessly sadistic acts that just are really torturous for no reason. And yeah, like re- like making someone suffer in such a way that, that has no rationale. Whereas it's almost easier to read about someone being shot in battle because there's more of a, I don't know how to describe it. There's more of a It's not, of, it's, you maybe don't agree with the reason, but at least there is a, re- there's a logic. Yeah, and there's, it's not just mindless evil. It's like a, yeah. well, it's that thing of not seeing someone else as human and, and mm. wanting them to suffer because you don't, you can't empathize with them. And I find that, really disturbing yeah. when you read about it but I remember that scene as well I think he gets gangrene I think that's why that's yeah what happens. I just grim. remember being really disturbed by it for some reason and then yeah also like the Dresden bombing stuff as well so yeah it, it, you kind of have the the 
awfulness of the German treatment of POWs, but then you also have the awfulness of British bombs falling on German civilians. So Mm. all in all, war not good, I think is the message. (laughs) What is it good for? Absolutely Uh, nothing. Say it again. Do you want to hear a cringy admission that might not make it into the podcast about this Always. Yeah. Um, So when I was first texting with my husband when we first met on Tinder, I had finished Slaughterhouse 5 months before. But when he said, what are you reading? I said Slaughterhouse 5. So I sounded clever and educated. (laughs) So Slaughterhouse 5, partly responsible for my marriage. Oh my God, I love that. What did he say he was reading? He said he was reading, oh my gosh, what's it called? Caitlin Moran, How to Build a Girl. Oh, he was doing it too. So clearly... Yeah, signposting. I'm a feminist, so it's okay. Oh my god, that's hilarious. I love that. (laughs) It's fine. It's just the dating game. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. No, I didn't. Getting back to it, let's let's segue back in. I sort of have a half a book left, which is, it was a case of kind of... Oh yeah. One that I thought might be worth mentioning, but it's my reasons for mentioning it are kind of pretty similar to ones I've already mentioned so it felt like a bit of an add-on rather than a I put it in the I put it in the first aid kit but I kind of have some things already that would help me with this but um the, the mm. book I thought I'd mention is Life After Life by Kate Atkinson oh. and this is a story of Ursula Todd who's the daughter of well-off parents and she's born sort of in, in interwar England and she's sort of born over and over again so as you read the book you realize that her life is essentially restarting over and over again and she doesn't remember for the most part, she doesn't get to kind of keep any memories from each life, although she has these sort of, she feels these urges and she gets these senses, but she can't, that she doesn't really know why. But these urges, these senses push her towards doing slightly different things in each version of her life and that can dramatically change the course of that life. So it's kind of like a Groundhog Day premise, but several lifetimes rather than the same day repeated. It would be in, in the travel kit for similar reasons to the Time Traveller's Wife in that it's just a a reference point for my time travels and to kind of help me prepare for different types of time travel you know if I get stuck in my life and I have to keep living it over and over again which sounds awful not because I've had a bad life I've been very lucky I've had a very nice life but I don't want to go back to school again that was dreadful so you know yeah and there's something very I find quite horrifying about these sort of Groundhog Day type scenarios where it's like this idea of being trapped living the same point I mean, for all we know, that is what's happening to us. We well, could be yeah, living exactly. the same life over and over again. But in, yeah, in life after life, you can change your life, though. So being dissimilar to Time Trapper's wife, she, even though she doesn't retain those memories, she can still change the path of her life. So maybe that's kind of a hopeful thing. Oh my God, thing. do you know what it reminds me of? <laughs> do you watch Rick and Morty? No, I, don't, I know it is very beloved, oh. but no, I've never seen it. Well, I'm going to I'm gonna sound like such a nerd. I'm going to say it for the podcast listeners. There's like a particular episode where they go to like an arcade and there's a game there called oh, what's it called it's like named after a guy and it's just this idea that you go into a video game and you live this guy's life but you live it out when in seemingly real time and then you get to you know, go in and it's called Roy I think yeah if anyone's listening and knows I mean and it's this idea yeah you can go in and you're basically playing out Roy and you can change his life depending mm. on what you want to do but it's like, because re- it's like, it's really, it's that classic Rick and Morty thing where it's like this mega weird sci-fi world, but it's a really mundane mm-hmm. thing. So it's like, do you want Roy to go and work at the carpet store? Or do you want Roy to pursue his career as a football player? It's like this stupid, anyway, it reminds me of that, this idea. And I, and I found that really scary, even watching that and being like, oh God, the thought of living out a life over and over again. 
a whole life. It's exhausting. It's scary. And there are a lot, you know, lots of people believe, I don't know if you do believe, but lots of people believe that they have had past lives and they might have moments where they are taken back to their past mm. life or they can tap into who they used to be and maybe that would affect how they live their current life. And there are also some cultures and religions that look at the idea of you meet the same people in every mm. iteration of life, but you're not necessarily having the same relationship with them in every life, but it's the same sort of essence. So we might meet yeah. again in a future life and be enemies or something. It's it's kind of interesting. That's kind of a theme for Cloud Atlas by David Mitchell, isn't it? Where you, you interact oh, yeah. with the same people I haven't read that. Yeah. in different lives. Cool concept, like a nice, comforting concept. Yeah, if it's, if it's people that you actually like, of course. Yeah, I think that's true. And there's a book called The Gift of Rain, which I absolutely love by Tan Tuan Eng. I think it, in that case, it's like a mm-hmm. Japanese culture thing, but it's this, these, and it's set during World War Two, during the Japanese occupation of Malaya. So it's an interesting where these two men meet, and they're technically at odds because one's Chinese Malaysian and mm. one's Japanese. But they realise that in a past life they had some sort of unresolved business, so they have to keep going. They have to keep reliving mm. their connection until they sort of finish up what they had. It is wonderful. I love it. It's a really, really great book, uh, and it's set in Penang, and so I get very excited about it. But yes, that sounds like a great book. I liked, I enjoyed that one. And there was something else I was going to briefly mention it, but it's gone out of my head. I think this podcast is about five hours long. Yeah, I mean, it's fine. It's we can live without wise. it. But yeah, good book <laughs> reminder to that. You, if, if I'm in a position that I have an impact, then it would be a good reminder that you might not always get what you want. Very true. And um, did you have any any other ones or you, no. you got to the end of your your kit? In an ideal scenario, I would probably would have picked books, more books set in the past to, to talk more about historical fiction. Mm. I think time sets really well, so it would help me as like a reference when I'm moving around. But yeah. I imagine on a future episode, we will talk a bit about the idea of living in a certain period and what books you'd have mm. in your first aid kit for that. So I deliberately left out some of my favourite historical fiction to bring up then. So I was um, just thinking of, I was really reminded suddenly of a TV show called Sliders. Did you ever watch that? Oh, it does not ring a bell. I feel like it was a very short-lived TV series. I watched it when I was a kid. Like, it, like we'd all gather in the living room, like, in the days where you had to have a schedule, you had to kind of be in the living room at the right time of the day. No Netflix. Anyway, it's a time travel show, and there's, like, a gang of time travellers. Anyway, I haven't thought about that in years, and now I'm going to see if I can, like, find it anywhere on the internet, because uh. I really want to watch it again. <laughs> I mean, if, if we're talking kids shows that mess with time, you don't get much better than Bernard's Watch. Oh my God, Bernard's like that is another—that's another, that's another uh, superpower. I think would be amazing having Bernard's Watch. I mean, <laughs> I remember seeing something recently where it said that Bernard used to do really stupid things, where like he'd pause time to go shopping. And then he'd restart time to pay or something. Like he'd do it in a really stupid yeah. way where he wasn't really utilising the power of the <laughs> watch idiot. in a very effective way. But what a power. I read a, um, a theory about Bernard's watch where because he, he stopped time for everyone else, but he's still experiencing time. Mm. So actually he keeps ageing every time he stops his watch. <laughs> so that actually after a few years, Bernard's like 10 years old, but he looks like he's 25. They do that in a Simpsons episode where I think Bart yeah. and Milhouse get hold of a similar watch and they're like, yeah, they restart time and they're like, Bart super old and he's like 45. Um, I just want to correct something because I, mm, do. and I've just discovered that Sliders is not about time travel. It's about slipping between parallel universes. Oh, but I think my confusion is because sometimes they go to parallel universes where like certain inventions haven't ah. happened. So we're still in like the dark ages and stuff. But I'm still going to go and find it and 
watch it. I love a parallel universe show. So is there, like, from our discussions, is there anything that you found interesting or unexpected in any of our selections? I mean, it'd be quite cool if you got to decide who you were when you time travel. Like, if you got to be like, I'm going to time travel back and I'm going to be the King of England. And mm. that would be a fun element to... Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah, and even the, and yeah, the idea that, you know, do you time travel with your clothes? Do your, Because that, that comes up a lot in things like teleportation as well and like other skills where it's like, how, how would the thing mm. that is creating the process know what part of you to put back in time and what not? Yeah what are the mechanics and then you could get really technical about that and be like well if eric banner has a haircut and then he goes back in time like is his haircut also gone back in time like i don't you know there are a lot there are a lot of things to think about and also yeah i love i do love to talk about the the time travel paradox and that idea and because you know as i say i watched avengers last night where they do go back in time change things to then create a world where they can fix things but then go back again mm. to put things back the way they were so that the original sequence of events can still occur. Yeah, I got really confused. But there's, it, it is confused. I think the best way to approach science fiction films is, uh, sorry, time travel films is just to accept everything and don't have any questions. Yeah, it is so true. And I think I read that recently where someone said that, it, I think it might it might have been the guy who made Looper actually, and he said like, you can, you can mm. get so caught up in it that it's best to just be like just go with yeah. the flow just have fun so i've got a deep question for you that's related mm. to some of our discussions today do you think you you lean more towards a fatalistic view of life do you think our future is set or do you think we have free will interesting i i think definitely free will in that it's pure chaos and everything we do is by random choice and I think there are many moments that you might miss that would have spiralled into a completely different future. And I don't believe that you've been given a set path. You, all life is just luck. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? What do you think? I, I'm more on your side, yeah. Although so, uh, there is a legitimate theory. Um, I think it's called the Box Universe Theory of Time, which is that all t- a bit like in um, Sword of Housewives, that all time exists at the same time and that we just experience Ooh. it chronologically because that's how our mind makes sense of it or something like that physicists can correct me in the comments but um yeah so there is a legitimate theory that mm. is already set everything's already set it's already happened everything in the past has happened everything in the future has happened and we're just experiencing it in a certain sequence but i don't know i feel like we've got free will and like i'm very i'm very on board with the multiple universe theory that we make choices and mm. then hundreds of different universes spin off yeah and it's infinite and i guess also like going back to your the physicist theory i don't know if this is connected but you know there are those i guess this whole like einstein's theory of relativity as well about the thing of time being affected by gravity Mm -hmm. and i don't know if you've seen interstellar but that gets really trippy when it's like the idea of you they go you go to a planet that has a lot of gravity and then you're aging Mm. slower than everyone else like what that's when it gets weird. Oh, I've got yes, I have got my Kindle on me. If I can find it, um, very quickly, a book recommendation. I'm actually only halfway through, but a non-fiction book recommendation. I can say on this topic, if you want to learn more about time and have a complete mess in your head where you don't understand what time is anymore, a book called Until the End of Time by Brian Green is a big book, but it's basically a layperson accessible overview of the universe and theories of time and it kind of covers all these kinds of ideas it's pretty nifty but it messes with your head um but in a great way that's good 
it sounds fun. So yeah, I mean, and coming back to what we've been discussing today, I think one I feel like one of the themes that comes out really strongly is ideas of fate and destiny in time travel mm. stories because there yeah there's all these examples of if I change something will it change the future and or actually does it just get absorbed into does it somehow lead to the same future so yeah it's an interesting way of exploring ideas of, of fate and and free will as well as yeah as well as like giving us a little peek into history mm. good and bad often bad well a lot of people wonder if it is a concept that will ever be a thing and there's a mm. a, a very legit reasoning that it's never going to become a thing because if it was we'd be seeing it no yeah and i mean it's possible that for all you know i'm a time traveler from the future and i'm just cleverly concealing my identity mm. um, yeah they could be walking among us because yeah they've all got their directives of like you can't change the past yeah so. But yeah, I think we're. I think we've got a good, solid first aid kit on both sides. Yeah, definitely. I did write. I think I need to put it in because it's. I think it's really profound. But I've written in my notes, books are a way to time travel. <laughs> so I think that is. That is. I love your little yeah. cheesy lines. Like, are you ever lonely if you've got a book? <laughs> books are the answer to everything. <laughs> That, need, that could be a new section. It could be like thought for the day, thought for the podcast. <laughs> I thought you were just going to be like profound thought. Books are good. <laughs> I just leave it at that. Like books help in life. Like, oh my God. That is a good point. You know, and I think, was it Neil Gaiman said, um, well, there's some quote where it's like a man who, who doesn't read lives one life. A man who reads lives uh, a thousand lives or something. So you, yeah, you, yeah, you can. Neil Gaiman said it much more poetically than I, <laughs> I don't did. actually know if it was Neil Gaiman, and in which case I'm giving him a lot of credit. Well, we'll give yeah, him the credit for that. Um, but yeah, you're right. And actually, I think that's what it, what's quite interesting about going back to my favorite, The Mirror and the Light. I read a review of that, and they I think a reviewer made this comparison that we are the ghosts at Cromwell's shoulder, seeing his life in this book, and mm. in that sense, we very much are time travelers from the future back i think that's a wonderful um, note to end on yeah <laughs> very whimsical so yes i hope you enjoyed our, our second episode been it's been fun i think we've got many exciting themes to come so do subscribe or you can find us on twitter at first aid lit if you are listening you've probably already found us so subscribe to wherever you're listening from and next week we will be talking about <gasps> feeling, feeling lonely. lonely your first aid kit for feeling lonely yeah, it's going to be a good one. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, it's going to be an emotional one. And if you have enjoyed today's episode, do you recommend us to friends and family who are also book lovers? Or not book lovers, because they'll become book lovers when they hear our wonderful recommendations. Yes, thank you so much. See you next week.